Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We're in the book of Ephesians. This is the third volume of a contribution I've been making uh, from the book of Ephesians. And this volume I titled uh, Rags to Riches, where we're going to, we've been focusing on the blessings that God sends our way as believers in Jesus Christ. Um, now, for this entire month, for this entire month, the month of November, um, we're going to be in a, uh, in, in, a, in a thought process that we're going to stay focused on, and it is about the liberation that we have in Jesus, the liberation of the Son of God, and what that means. Um, let me tell you why I do what I do, um, I, uh, and why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. I, I really have a passion that uh, the foundation of the Word of God be really strong in our church, and in your life, and in my life. Um, I take seriously the stewardship, uh, trust from the Lord uh, and from those who've come before me in other generations of faithful to God's word. I take that stewardship very personal. I, I never have since the first sermon I ever preached at Crestown Assembly of God ever came here half-hearted. I've never phoned it in, never. And I say that for the glory of God, but I just want to tell you, I never have phoned it in. And I never will. Uh, I believe that a bridge needs to be secured from this generation to the next, and I'm all about that, and everything I do is in that context and through that filter. And if Jesus returns while I'm doing what I'm doing, I want him to find me giving you the food from the word of God at the proper time. Because I want to hear him say, well done, uh, good and faithful servant. And I'll leave his definition of good and faithful to him because mine doesn't measure up. Um, I want to quote to you from one of the greatest preachers ever, um, uh, and that is someone from the 1800s by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's known as the Prince of Preachers, preached for many years at Metropolitan Tabernacle in England, and his comments about the book of Ephesians, actually the letter. And he says, the epistle to the Ephesians is the complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, and that's where we are, in the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience, the practice of Christian living. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith. And then I love this part. Whoever would see Christianity in one treatise, let him or her read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. Amen, Charles. I ask you, LOH friend, I ask you, those who call this your church, I ask you, if you haven't yet, let him or her read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the letter to the Ephesians. People send me words from the Lord all the time. Words from men and women of God, and sometimes, many times, I find them to be words from God. And many times in my life, I've received great blessing from them. But with that said, I don't live off preachers and modern day prophets like a Holy Spirit weekly horoscope. I just never have and I never will. To me, the question I have for the modern day church that longs for that more than what we're doing now is, you have Ephesians incarnational yet? Have the spiritual gifts down to the point that your ligament in the body of Christ is adequately supplying what we need? You have the full measure of Christ in the church functioning rhythmically down? Neither do I. I need the Bible, man. You need the Bible. 
but I, I, I need the Bible not just in my head. I need the Bible in my feet. I need the Bible in my heart. I need the word of the Lord to become human in me. And so do you. So with that said, that's why we are drilling deep into the letter of Ephesians. And today we're going to look at some words in the word. Uh, to this week and next, what we're going to do is I'm going to break down the words from a passage in Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, which actually explain John 3.16 in great detail. Although we're not reading John 3.16, what we're reading in Ephesians 1, 7, and 8 is John 3.16 broken down in great detail. And, and I got news for you. What we're going to do, make your plans, this will begin our journey over a month of Sundays, literally a month of Sundays, every Sunday in the month of November, I'm going to cover a vast amount of Bible territory regarding this passage that we introduced today. One verse and another verse, one and a half verses for the entire month of November. And it, regarding the blood of Jesus and our freedom in him. And so the next two weeks, I'm going, does anybody know anybody that, that works at the railroad by chance? <laughs> anybody? You got, you got pull with them? Can they like turn it down until I'm done? This has been going on now for like 20 some years and I'm starting to get upset about it. <laughs> It just always is. It's always, it's always. So anyway, today we're, and next week we're going to look at the thought of power words in the powerful word of God. So here we go. The Bible, the New Testament was recorded and given whenever the entire Roman world was speaking Greek. They weren't speaking Latin. They weren't speaking English. They weren't speaking Mandarin, they were speaking Greek and a certain kind of Greek. Not classical Greek, but street Greek, Koine Greek, the marketplace idea. It's just kind of like how you and I talk on a daily basis, which might be a little different than we'd talk if we were giving a speech in front of Congress. Classical Greek, Koine Greek. The Holy Spirit chose a time to get this message out when the world of that time was speaking Greek. And so I'm going to give you, on the screen right here, this is Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, and this is uh, the original, the original manuscript, uh, Greek, Koine Greek, of which the Apostle Paul wrote the Ephesian letter. And here's what it says. Enhos, hechohos, apolotrosis, diaho, Haima, hi mom. My mom is watching. Doesn't mean that, but I just thought I'd say hi. Hi, mom. Um, autos, ho, aphesis, ho, paratoma, kata, ho, plotos, ho, keris, autos, hos, periseo, ice, ego. God bless you. I'll see you next week. <laughs> what? I just gave you the word of God. What? What? What else do I need to do? I gave you. What the Holy Spirit said, that's all we need, right? Well, we need more than that, don't we? Because anybody in here, maybe you speak perfect Koine Greek. Raise your hand. Huh? Me neither. Me neither. But that is what they read when that letter came to Ephesus. The reason why God in his providence chose the time in which the world was speaking that language was because the Greek language is one of the most colorful, if not the most colorful, which the, with a great depth of meaning uh, compared to the English translation of which we have. Um, and when we read in English what is written there, we get a pretty good uh, actually a really good interpretation of what's written in Greek. But anytime any language uh, translates from the original language, you can lose dynamic. You can lose meaning. And it matters a great deal. So what we're going to do is, over the next few weeks, is we're going to break these words down and, uh, and, and, and look at the, the detailed meaning of this because where we're going with this is the reason why I'm doing these teachings from Ephesians is, is I'm believing 
In case some of you here are in the more charismatic Pentecostal world where you're, you know, uh, where volume equals anointing and, and all. listen, the goal of this is that, is that what happened in, in Acts in the book of Ephesians, or in, in the Ephesian time in the book of Acts happens in our lives. And, you, and we'll talk about that later, but I'm believing for signs, wonders, miracles, a, a, re, a real, in real time, dynamic manifestation of the ministry of Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit in his church where not only certain individuals but all of God's people realize that they are anointed, gifted, empowered to share the ministry of Jesus that breaks yokes, opens the eyes of spiritually blind people, sets people free from bondage all over our world. That's my goal. That's my goal. So on our way, I want to give you a word, just a, a couple words about just the thought of theology. You know, theology, uh, people go, well, is that, that's a, you know, are we going to dry out the church getting into theology? Well, it depends on what you think that means. Theology just comes from two Greek words, means theos, God, ology, the study of, the study of God. That's what theology simply means. Is it okay if we study God? Now that'd be all right, wouldn't it? We're going to study God. I think the Holy Spirit would be all about that, to be honest with you. Theology is powerful when it's presented correctly. But theology is also boring when it's presented by someone boring. I love history, but I rarely loved any of my history classes. I'll just leave that right there. Huh? There are certain things. When I used to coach baseball in 1938, I used to say, I used to say to the parents, if I can't teach your kid how to play baseball, I, and I can't promise you I will, but I promise you this, with everything in me, I will, I will do everything I can to help them to love the game because baseball deserves to be loved. That's my view. That's neither here nor there, but that's how I feel. If a kid's on my team and he doesn't love baseball, it'll be my fault. But it isn't necessarily my fault if he doesn't know which good pitch to hit in the pitcher's count. Anyway, theology is the same to me. Good theology is a must. Why? Because it keeps us on the right track. And we must always stay on the right track. And in the grace of God, we will. But good theology is not a, listen, good theology is not a guarantee that you, what you say is what you are. Your theology about Jesus can be perfect, and yet you may not even know him. For instance, you could have a good theological confession, and we could as a church, our church could be spot on regarding every detail of the Christian faith. And we confess it and we have it on our website so that people can go, I want to make sure I'm going to a church that isn't a cult, that's solid Orthodox Christianity, and there it is. But you know what? With that, there is no guarantee that those people that gather in that place love the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. Raise your hand if you're tracking with me on that. No guarantee. And listen, you could have a great, perfect biblical confession as a man or a woman regarding what a solid Christian marriage is and give no indication of whether you love your wife or your wife loves you. And you can be biblical on your view of marriage. That's not a guarantee you love. Listen, every year I re-up in my denominational and they ask me questions about theology as part of what they ask me. But they've never asked me in 20-some years, Tim McGregor, do you love Jesus Christ and God's people to the degree you did when you started? Never ask me that. I know people who, if they try to explain justification by faith... They might get it technically wrong in a, in a side piece. But that's not a sign that they don't love Jesus. Even more, it's not a sign that Jesus isn't blessing them. 
huh, son? You know, for over 300 years after the book of Acts had been lived, great men and women of God were still trying to explain and put in words what it really meant that Jesus of Nazareth was God in the flesh. Let me ask you, prior to that, prior to where they fig got it figured out and they gave their confessions that we follow today, if they were a little bit off on the way to that third century, did God use them? If he didn't, we wouldn't be here. So I want to encourage people who get triggered by every jot and tittle. You're a jot and tittle Christian. Nothing wrong with that. But when you get triggered by people whose expression may not necessarily... Please stay in the book of Galatians and Colossians because you could destroy the work of God for the sake of a jot. And listen, as long as I pastor this church under God's watchful eye and my brother on the board who I have a friendship and an accountability to, I will never, never give our church over to that kind of spirit. Never. Write it down. I said, never. Because, because that spirit, that spirit is the spirit that Jesus told the disciples. Beware of that leaven right there. With that can of worms opened, we're going to completely move away and we're going to go straight into something else. I said all that to make something clear because I'm going to sound now like I'm coming from another angle, which, which is true. One of my most uh, treasured scholars, Dr. Gordon Fee, who just passed away last week. Gordon Fee, who, 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 who was uh, on uh, staff, New Testament, uh, at uh, Regent College, what uh, was respected by Pentecostal and non-Pentecostal scholars. They didn't necessarily, some didn't necessarily agree, but respected his scholarship and the spirit by which he presented it. Guess what spirit that was? Humble and Christ-like. That'll work. Gordon Fee wrote some amazing books and there are some books that he wrote that I don't agree with him on where he came out on the end of certain things. But 100% agree with him on most things, especially on this. In the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, he makes a wonderful statements. It's one of those books you'd underline at all. Do you ever underline almost a whole book and then you go, what did I underline it for? Now I've <laughs> got too much underlined. He says this, a text, okay, like Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. Let's say that. A text cannot mean what it could never mean for its original readers and hearers. Stay with me. The concern should be primarily with what the text meant. Meant. Reading the Bible with an eye only to its meaning for us can lead to a great deal of nonsense and every imaginable kind of error. That's good. There isn't a Catholic or Protestant, cessationist, non-cessationist, preterist, futurist, Arminian, Calvinist, who would disagree with that. No one, because it's true. Let me give you an illustration of that. My dad quarterbacked Fort Hill High School to victory on Turkey Day 1955 against Allegheny High School. My dad was the quarterback that year. And uh, my dad passed away at 62 years of age. And my, my, my stepdad, who married my mom after, a prince of a man, Kenny Poling, 
he played during that time, and for, for Christmas one year, he, he had found that game uh, that, had been, uh, uh, that had been filmed on 8mm, and he got it made on a, on, a, on a DVD and gave it to me as a Christmas present. And I'm telling you what, that just blew my mind. I've watched that a number of times. No sound, just, just action. And there's my left-handed quarterback, Dad. Well, Fordo had a fight song, and I'm not sure if that fight song uh, w was in the 50s. I'd imagine so. It carried on to the 60s and the 70s and into the 80s, and it went like this. I'm not going to sing it for you, although I'd do a good job. Go Fort, go Fort Hill High, let's go and, and win this game. We know you'll cross that goal, for we know you will try. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go Fort Hill High, let's go and win this game. Over the top we go and fly our colors, fly our colors. Gay. Yeah, see? You didn't know that, did you? From the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, fly our colors, fly our colors, gay was the person who wrote that song over the top. It wasn't written for Fort Hill High School, but they adopted that song as their fight song. The original intention was written by somebody in the 50s or 60s that they chose that word because in that time frame, that word gay meant happy, cheerful, victorious, jubilant. Somebody that, a uh, grad of Fort Hill, when I just did that, gave, it's okay, Catherine, it was you, right? Catherine said, fly our colors, fly our colors, and now they say instead of, they say, go red. They don't say gay anymore. I'm not here to make a point about that, but of course you, you know why, right? Because listen, if you lived in 1955 and you got in the flux and you got into the DeLorean with Marty McFly in the flux capacitor and you typed in 2022 and you showed up at a Fort Hill football game and they score a touchdown as they do many times and they did the song you'd be like, wait, why did they change the word at the end? You'd have no idea. Because you think, what's wrong with that word? What do you mean? But if you were in 2022 and you went back to 1955 and you listened and they said, okay, you would have every reason to think, if you didn't know the cultural context, to think that when they said fly their colors, fly, that they were talking about Honoring a certain segment of community, would you? Because it's the same word with a completely different meaning. Based on, and listen, both of those words, if you look in the dictionary, would define it both ways. Depending on the time, the culture. And you could say, well, it means this to me. And they can say, well, it means this to us. But you know what it means? What it meant to the person who wrote the song. So when you read the Bible, it doesn't matter what it means to me or what it means to you. If I want to have the meaning matter, I need to know what Paul meant when he chose the words the Holy Spirit precisely led him to write. Same with John, same with uh, James, Jude, Luke, Matthew, Mark. It's what, not only the word that they meant, but also what it meant in the cultural time in which they used it. For instance, in the New Testament time, there would be a word, redeem. Redeem. In, in, in the word, redeem, the word redeem during the time of Paul, during the time of Jesus. Listen, all the way back to the time of Moses. The word redeem in the mind of anybody would never have a religious connotation to it. Never. The word redeem, as soon as, if you heard it in Moses' day, if you heard it in Paul's day, immediately you would think of the price to buy or purchase a human being. A human being. 
and traffic human beings as if they're property, buying and selling them. That's the only meaning in the culture. When John Calvin and others of his day, even all the way back to the reformists, to remove the stigma from that terminology of redeem and slave, for instance, the word slave meant slave. But some of the translators, because it had such a stigma and such a, such a shock, changed it to, to the word bondservant or servant because of wanting to veer away from the same way that maybe as I used the illustration I used, uh, people get concerned about, oh no, should we even talk like that? Should we even bring that up? Let me ask you, who is dominating whether or not what you can talk about and what you can say? Who do you bow the knee to on that? Just the concern is something to think about. And there's always a side, other side of that. And I didn't just say, who cares? Because Jesus cares. So we're going to camp out in these words. I already read them to you in the Greek language. And let me tell you what they say in the English language. And we're going to break them down. In him, let's go. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Let's go into it. Keep following with me, guys. The Apostle Paul challenges the young pastor, Timothy, and any pastors to follow that they are to be good representations of, of, of Jesus. And that one of the ways they are is to, is to rightly divide the word of truth. The word of truth is the whole message. And when you preach the whole message, when you, when you break it down, you are to literally rightly divide. And that idea is to, as if you would take a piece of pie and you'd slice it up, but do it, slice it up and expose what it, what it is uh, the right way. Take these words of the word and rightly divide them or open them up. So what I'm going to do today and next week is I'm going to break down these words to build up your faith. I want to break down these words to build up your faith. And for those of you who are grammatic nerds, you're going to love it. And for those of you who aren't, I'm going to hope you still love me. <clears throat> so let's break it out. In him we have. In him, two words, ho en hos, en in hos, him, it's a, it's a pronoun. In him, we have, let's start right there. There, there, are, there, are, there are ways in the Greek, when you read the Greek words, you, there, there are these signposts that just jump out at you to tell you, to tell you what kind of case ending this is and what that case ending means to the rest of the sentence. For, in, for instance, in this, where it says, in him, that is considered to be a, a case ending, the data of his, date of his actual word, which, which indicates a relationship uh, of location, for one thing. So... So as I, as I said before, uh, in, in, my, in, my, in my illustration, which wouldn't happen, but it, 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 this could be, where God broke through the clouds, and I've used it before, I'm going to keep using it, where God would break through the clouds over the tri-state area and say, listen, whoever you are, get on your scooter, and if you go to 11507 Moss Avenue, where we are, and get on that property, just for doing what I say and trusting my word and acting on what I say, I declare you not guilty of any sin you've ever committed. I will empower your life. I will make you, you, you will be it, it, just in that place, holy, blameless, without spot. I will call you my son or my daughter. I will bring you unto myself. And not only will I declare it, but I will do such a work spiritually inside of you that you will feel what I call you. That is the, that's what this is saying here. Paul is saying, in him we have. And we're going to talk about what we have. 
but he is indicating right off the bat that there is a place where in the dad of idea the the life the activation what is happening that we're going to talk about is in a place now there isn't a place this place is a person in him we have wherever him is there is something in him and in his presence that will bring to you you have this thing we're going to talk about you with me in him we have the two words we have is one Greek word. It looks like the word echo. E-C-H-O. Echo is how you would pronounce it. It means to hold. It means to possess. Oliver, would you come up here? It means to wear. Now, I asked my brother, and, and this is the idea. Jesus Christ, Christ was not Jesus' last name. It was the title Messiah, meaning anointed one, but it wasn't just a title. It was a happening. Because where Jesus was, did anything happen? What happened? Whatever happened from Jesus was what Christ is. Now there, is a, there aren't a bunch of Christs like the New Agers say. Jesus of Nazareth was anointed. The Holy Spirit came on him for a reason. And wherever he was, the kingdom was. And wherever the kingdom was, there was a dynamic. This was a promise from the prophets all the way back from, from the garden. That there would be one who would come. And he would be specially anointed by God upon him. And he would do things for others. This is the imagery Paul is trying to give us about this location of life happening. And you and I have. So, let's say, and please, those who are jotting tiddlers, I am not dumbing down Christ here. I'm trying to make a point. If you put this on, I don't know if it'll fit you or not. It's not the point. Hopefully it doesn't fit you. And, and hopefully you're too little for it. Hey, good, good work, good work. Does it fit you? No? It's tight? It's tight? Well, you're, you're, you're ripped. That's why. But anyway, but, but as you can see, there's, you know, there's, there's area there. So, in him, in the position of faith in him, we have echo. So, this here would mean that whatever Paul is going to say that we have, in in him, going to the place, going to where Jesus is, connected to him, what he is, and all that he is, and all that he brings, and all that he emanates, you possess. You possess it positionally. But here's the great news. What if you became what you wear? What if there was a coat that made joy, like, like literally the garments of praise? What if there was a cloak that brought the feeling of the favor that Christ has already released for you from God? What we're trying to do in these messages is to, to the degree we know it positionally, the Lord wants us to know it experientially. All right? So, uh, now, I'd, I'll give you the code if you want it. I don't think so. Is it okay, though? It used to look good. Yeah, it's mine. It used to look good. Uh, the, uh, somewhere back, somewhere back. All right, so, you know what I'm saying? 
you know, when, when, uh, when David and Jonathan, uh, they, they, they loved one another, right? And, and, and there's this moment where they exchange robes in the wilderness. They exchange weaponry, right? Now, they didn't give it, and then, they, and then David went off in the wilderness wearing Jonathan's stuff. There was this symbolic ceremonial moment where they exchanged weapons, they exchanged robes, brother to brother, to mean, wherever you go, I got your back. Wherever you go, I am you, and you are me, and we are we, and we are all together. Now, friend, this is way, I'm going way past where we are going to be in the next few weeks. But this, this, this wearing for us individually is the imagery that Paul is trying to make a point that we all are in that garment in Christ. And in that garment, this word echo, it means to possess, to own, uh, uh, but, I, but I can't resist, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing harm to the meaning. I'm not changing the meaning. But I, but I look at the word echo, E-C-H-O, and, and I, I, I have to go, you know what? Uh, it reminded me of when God told Isaiah to, to get up on a high mountain and, and proclaim across the mountains. Have you ever been up on a mountain and went, hello? Have you ever done it? Have you ever done it? We did it at the Grand Canyon. I think it's still waiting to come back. <laughs> Hello! Have you ever gone up to Dan's and done it? You can hear. I remember being a little kid when my, when my grandma lived, and you could yell out over her, or the top of her little property there, and you could hear your voice come back, the echo back. And I know this word doesn't mean that, but I can't resist this because it's spelled exactly like it. And so to tie this together, what he is saying is when you, when you realize what this is, let it continually echo back to you. Let it continually echo back to you. In him, we have. In the location of Jesus, positionally, but Paul prays, I know you have the person of the Spirit in you, sealed till he comes, but I pray that the Father will keep giving you the Spirit. One baptism, many fillings. It's not, well, God touched my life when I was 13 and now I'm 313. <laughs> I'm here all week. Uh, but it is, it, it, it is, it is, it is, he's wanting us to know this because this is about turning our face toward going into the world of the damned and delusional and demonized and broken and hopeless, knowing knowing you are carrying the presence of Jesus. That's where I'm going with this. That's why I'm breaking down, that's why I'm nerding out with this grammatical structure thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is anointing. I don't know if you know that. Do I, I'll turn up the volume so the Holy Spirit can come. Is that what I do? And get the band playing. This is anointing. This is, this is breaking it down to build up our faith. All right, so in him, in this location, we have, think of the coat. We have whole apolatrosis, redemption. And what is interesting is in the English version, whether it's New American Standard, King James, whether it is the NIV, New Living Translation. It doesn't matter. When you read it, it says, in him we have redemption. But you're missing what it says. It doesn't say redemption. Ho, H-O, is a definite article, the. In him, we have the and only the redemption. 
Whatever redemption means, it's only in a location. Let's add to what God would say. Only at Moss Avenue. <laughs> no. no, that's not the way it would be. But only you have it. Nowhere else. Now, that's not the way it is, but I'm just making a point. And people could go, well, I don't think that's fair. It'd be like if your plane's going down and they give you a parachute to jump out. You go, well, I just don't think that's fair. You can stand all the way to the hit the thing. I'm bailing. In him, we have, think coat, think feeling the coat, Think experiencing the coat. We have the apolotrosis. Let's keep going to the next slide. In him, here's what it would literally say. In him we have the redemption. None of this is arrogance. None of this is a, is a brassy, ha-ha, we do and you don't. No, no, no. He is making a point for the world to see. There is a redemption. There is a savior. There is a location. And it will do this thing we're going to talk about. But it's only in and only the. That's it. That's it. That's the gospel. That's the word of God. Regardless, if the pressure from the world and the world in the church can't handle that because it'll get you kicked out of the cool kids club. And we don't fight back. But we fight the fight of faith, meaning if everybody leaves, I've got to preach this. Because I won't answer to you. I answer to Jesus and Paul. And I'm as scared to think about I'm preaching Paul's words as I am to think about standing before Jesus and Peter and Jude. I don't care what the YouTube prophet investigators think. I don't care. I don't care a flip. Not a flip. Because I won't stand before them. And they won't stand before me. I'll stand before Jesus and the apostles and that keeps me awake at night along with knowing that I don't know how long I have in my life no reason to think I'm going to be out of here anytime soon but you just never know do you with that said I want everybody that's ever heard me preach whether they like it or not, live it or don't, receive it or not. I want them to be in their car going, I don't want that, but I know exactly what it means to be a Christian. That's all I can offer. That's all I can offer. Apolotrosis, it comes from two roots, apo and lutron. Apo means to cut and separate. In him, we have some kind of action that has had a cut and separate. A motion from. Now, we've talked about a call and a motion to. From Abraham to the last person that receives Christ. Christian living in the name of the people of God pre-Christian and pre-Jesus from Adam and Abraham on. is about a people who hear a voice and go. That's what spirituality is. Spirituality in the eyes of God is you hear what God says and you move by faith on it. Instead of replacing it with offerings, promises, rules, laws. True spirituality has been, always will be. For moving on the voice, he will give you the spirit and call you righteous. And then work that righteousness in you after he's already called you because he calls things that are not as though they are. That's it. That's it. You can replace the voice with all kinds of actions and it doesn't count. It requires faith. From faith to faith. Those justified by God will live by faith. Faith is not just a mental assent to a confessional creed. Faith is action. 
A mental ascent to a confessional creed would be like going to the swimming pool and you never get in the water. And you come home and they say, where'd you go? I went swimming. No, you didn't. You went to the pool and sat. That's not swimming. And that's not Christianity to sit in a church. But going to a place against all odds with no possibility except that God says it will bring you heaven's power, heaven's favor, heaven's voice. If all turn against you, God will be for you. That's the gospel. Hey, let's give it up for the gospel just for a second. Can we do that? Apple, apple, lutrosis. Lut, apple means to cut from. It's the same way apostasis means apostasy. Your status, you're in a status. And before Jesus comes, it says there'll be a great apostasis. There'll be a falling from a status, a great falling. There's always been people falling away, but there will be a great apostasis. The reason why I'm drilling in here is because I don't want anybody in our church that ever falls near the apostasis. Away from a state that you, that you were of, faith. Apostasis means falling away from the faith. Apolutron means you've been cut away and loosened from something and then placed into a location where there is something going on. Apolutrosis. You have been loosed. And Lutron also has an indication of the price that was paid to loose you. Anybody getting a little bit out of this? Are you with me with it? Okay. Apolutrosis comes from to loosen, to move you from a condition, from a position that was binding you in slavery. That was the idea when you would say these words in that culture and you would say, redeem. In their culture, that would mean somebody bid on you as a human being and your master who owned you went, that's a pretty good deal. Here, you can have Philemon or you can have Onesimus. Sorry, got my pronouns wrong there. You can have them from one place of bondage to another. This, this is what sent shockwaves through the Roman Empire because Paul called himself a slave of Jesus Christ and there was nothing binding him. But he uses this word and this terminology that everybody knew and he is saying there is a message from the top of the mountain that should echo through all generations that will put you, whoever you are, slave or free, scholar or barbarian, in a place where a loosening from bondage will happen in your life through a price paid. Now, if you would use the word redeem this week, and you might hear a commercial, hey, you can redeem that coupon for a free ice cream cone. Or you can, we had a rain out, so you bring your, you bring your ticket to the stadium and you can redeem that for another game. You don't think human trafficking, do you? And even in the church world, you might go, yeah, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by, not sure what that means. Redeemed by da 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 Right? Redeemed, redeemed. What's it mean? We just told you what it means. We're breaking it open to build your faith. Here's what Jesus has done. He has bought us out of a certain kind of slavery and empowered us into another kind of slavery that has no binding in it of destruction, of defeat. And, 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 oh man. 
when the Apostle Paul opens up Ephesians 1 and he goes, Paulus, doulos, Jesu Christu, he is saying to that world, I am a slave of Jesus, but he uses the word doulos, which in the world of the empire, all the way back to Moses, even though the word slave predominantly in all cultures meant you're a piece of property. You don't, you're not a human being. And the, the difference between slavery in America in the 1860s and on, it was a racial slavery. This was anyone. If the power of an empire took over, they could make anybody a slave. They could make their own people slaves. Two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves. So when Paul identifies with the slaves, he says, I am what you are except my slavery is better. And my master, as Jesus said, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friends. For everything my father has said to me, I share it with you. The slavery we have in Jesus. And the reason why it's, it's good to use that word and not be afraid of it and dumb it down because it might trigger feelings. The same reason why I just did what I did earlier with, a, with an explanation is while we bow and while we are afraid to, to talk about real terms and real words and what they really mean, while everything's being redefined, It's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of shocking and communicating people to life, to contemplation, to decision, to being arrested. As Paul says, I was arrested by Jesus, who, knowing all that Paul, Saul, was intending on doing, wreaking havoc against the people of God, arresting and dragging women and men out of their homes into prison and was on his way to Damascus with the authority to do it. The God of heaven and his son stopped him on the road. And Paul says when that happened, he said, he poured into me faith and grace and mercy. And that coat that came upon him that he felt Paul for the rest of his life threw his whole will into the location where mercy and redemption and healing and power and light and freedom and love would always be existing. And when he is preaching, he is saying, this is for the whole world, including Caesar's household. That, my friend, is the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me sum it up like this. Go to the next one. There we go. We have a price that was paid in him to loosen to free, to emancipate, you can use any word you want, liberate. This is true liberation theology. Make no mistake. The other is a replacement counter. It's antichrist. It's either Christ or a substitute. There's only one declaration of a date of case, one location, and that's that. We have a price that was paid in him to loosen, to free us, to liberate us, and separate us from. When I was thinking about this and coming to terms with this, I took my legal pad, and in 10 minutes' time, my pen started writing, and I had to come up with the ABCs of redemption. This is a first work. Please don't judge me. 
From affliction, we have affection. From bondage, we have blessings. From condemnation, we have coronation. From depression, we have deliverance. From evil, we're back in Eden again. From fallen, we have filling. From guilty, we are graced. From hellbound, happy heaven. From iniquity to intimacy. From jailhouse to jubilee. From karma to kindness, from loss to liberating love, from misery to mercy, from nowhere to newborn, from outcast to an open heaven, from prison to peace, from a quagmire to a quiet quickening rest, from rebellion to rescued, from sinner to saints, from tormented to triumphant, from undone to uplifted, from vanquished to victorious from worry to worship X I couldn't think of one don't sue me from Y your way to Yahweh and zeal zealous for lust zealous for life come on somebody come on somebody rough draft rough draft 10 minutes max it just happened the ABCs of our liberation, that's what we have. That's the coat you wear, whether you feel it or not. And that's why Paul had to stop twice in the middle of this sixth chapter letter and pray two times that this would be not only a positional coat, but an experiential coat. Would you stand, please? I want to close with this thought because... The, 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 what took place in the book of, of Acts in, in the Ephesian, in the Ephesian, hey, is there any possible way, and this is just off the top of my head, could we do the, the, the song that Brooke did and then go into the, the one you did and just do them over? Will that work? Make it work. No. I'll use my apostolic keys here. No, um, Let's go, the, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Uh, yeah, let's go to the next one. When, when Paul comes to Ephesus, listen, listen, listen. They're getting ready anyway. When, when Paul comes to Ephesus, he finds 12 disciples of John the Baptist. Wait. Hey, following John the Baptist wouldn't be too bad, would it? Was he on track? He preached a water baptism of repentance from sin. So Paul comes across these 12 believers. They're called believers. And he notices that there's something lacking in their life. He asks them the question that he perceives. Listen to this. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? You know what they answered? It's what some people who raised in certain Protestant churches answer. We've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he goes, well, then what baptism are you of? Hey, watch me. What baptism are you of? The baptism of John. Paul says, John preached a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. But one came after him. See, he offers a baptism that he was baptized of himself. When Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit like a dove came down upon him. Acts 10 says it this way, how God anointed, something came on him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Well, those 12 men allowed Paul to pray for them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied, just like the Acts 2 experience in the upper room with the Jews, just like what took place in the Samaritan group, because the book of Acts is showing us a sign that every people group on earth in Christ receives the same Holy Spirit baptism that everybody else does. Don't get hung up on the signs. The signs are not a proof text for today's Pentecostal church, although, although, the Pentecostal church, thank God for them, 
because they have held to something about an experiential, continual experiential experience that the coat in the, in the, in the location of Jesus, whose last name isn't Christ, but his living reality of manifestation is present until he comes back again. This has dunamis, power, release of gifts, creativity, life, resurrection, healing, signs, wonders, and miracles by God the Father's own providential decision and will. We can't work up things. But what God is trying to say to us through this word is that all who are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, and we have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but a spirit of sonship by which we have an animated prayer life that has intimacy between us and our Father. And from that, he testifies in us and through us that we are the children of God because we're wearing a dynamic on us. We are wearing a dynamic on us that's different than anybody else in the world. Not that we can boast. It's not about boasting. It's about humbly inviting. And, and what you've been given freely, and me, freely give it to whosoever. And as you go, expect the ways of the wind and the fire and the guidance to people unknown to you or maybe known to you are ready to hear the echo of this living word. And they exchange their rags for riches. It all starts at the cross. It can't be bypassed. The first place of location for every step. I love this about the Roman Catholic Church. They have the stations of the cross. I love that about them. They, they lead you to the cross. People always should, we should always be leading people to the cross. The cross of Jesus is where the transaction takes place, where you go from one kind of slavery to another kind. If that's you today, you need that. I pray, Jesus, for the people that don't know you, bring them to the cross and break the dominion of death off their life. Break the powers of hell from them. Lord, emancipate them, loosen them. Let them experience an apostasis from one station of life to another in you. Underneath the blood of the of the cross of Jesus Christ. May a brand new liberation begin for you if you're standing here in this room, if you're listening, if you're watching now in this time or in God's time, may you find in the work of the finished work of the Son of God on the cross for you. He was made to be sin for you, to take your sin, carry them to the to the tomb, bury them there, and his resurrection is your justification if you will believe, if you will come in action, in faith, and confess your sin. You have no righteousness, but he offers you an emancipation and a brand new life. And if you call on his name, he's never been far away from you. You just say, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And for that honest confession of turning from, he will turn to you and fill you with a life of the Holy Spirit and change you from glory to glory to glory. And for everyone in this room, you say, Lord, I have your spirit in my life and I have the coat and I'm in the location. Now I ask you for manifestation. I pray that for you. While we sing these songs, friend, singing songs is great if it's a step to the touch of God on your life. Don't replace singing if God is calling you into a place of receiving. It's not the same thing. Don't hide your lack of listening to what God's telling you to do as a believer. Don't hide it behind singing a song. You got it? We'll take care of the singing. You just get ready to eat the steak. We'll sing it. You can sing it. But sing it if you're filled. If you're not, say, Lord, I want this coat to start dancing in my Father, I pray that a mighty release of the Holy Spirit, ooh, a mighty release of the Holy Spirit would break off any chain of fear.
of the Holy Spirit, any, 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 any words that have been leavened in their soul from even well-meaning preachers and teachers that block them from the fountains of life. I pray you would exchange your coat, you would lay down your coat, and even Saul's armor, even the armor of other leaders and other men and women who have put their thing on you, Break that thing off, lay it down, and let your life be clothed in the anointing of Jesus Christ. You ready for that? As they sing, wherever you are, and if the Lord leads you to stay where you are, at least receive. But if he's calling you from where you are to where he is by faith, that step that you take by faith, my friend, I'll tell you in some people's lives, it's changed nations of the world. It not only did something for them, it did something for their family. It did something for grandkids that have yet to even be born. It happened in my life that way. It could happen in your life that way. You are loosed by everything except your decision. And may you answer what God is calling you to in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.